Welcome to the monthly Three Edge View from the Edge for June 2023. I'm Fritz Folds, the Chief Investment Strategist here at Three Edge, and I'm joined here once again today by Eric Beagleisen, Director of Investment Research, Deputy Chief Investment Officer here at Three Edge Asset Management. And today, Eric and I will provide our firm's most recent outlook for the global capital markets, which is based on our proprietary Three Edge research model. Before we begin, a brief recap of the activity in the global capital markets. And on Thursday uh, evening of this past week, the U.S. Senate passed the debt ceiling legislation before the June 5th deadline, thereby avoiding a first-ever U.S. debt default. Meanwhile, a report on Friday showed that the U.S. economy created 339,000 jobs in May, which was much higher than consensus, which came in at 185,000 jobs. And the report highlighted the continued strength in the job market, despite rising interest rates and heightened recession fears. The report may also throw a bit of cold water on investor expectations for the Fed to pause and not raise short-term interest rates during the FOMC meeting in mid-June. And then yet another economic report, the Institute of Supply Management reported that U.S. manufacturing industry is shrinking and at a faster rate than the prior month of April. Meanwhile, in May, the uneasy and relatively narrow rally in U.S. equities continued. Talk of the potentially transformative nature of artificial intelligence, its capacity to supercharge the global economy, has kicked into high gear the shares of a handful of technology companies. However, the recent excitement over AI is beginning to sound a bit like the exuberance among investors in the late 1990s during the now infamous era of the dot-com bubble. Uh, The nature of the advance in U.S. equities, which is basically that you have a small number of stocks driving uh, overall gains, that's not often a longer-term bullish indicator for future equity market returns. So... With those recent market developments as a backdrop, let me bring in Eric, and let's take a look to begin at our global uh, asset matrix and the chart, which will show, importantly, the most important thing maybe is how things may have changed since the prior month. So I'll turn things over to you, Eric. Great. Thanks, Fritz. Yeah, we can see uh, the updates here to the uh, view from the edge, asset class matrix, a uh, few notable changes here. We have Europe moving down two spots. Uh, it had been this positive one spot, now moving to the negative one spot. And we'll, we'll get into the details, something we've been talking about for some months, though that had been our one attractive asset class in the equity markets. We also see developed Asia, specifically Japan, moving up a spot, though still in a mixed outlook. And commodities taking a, a downtick as well, down to negative one. But We'll probably unpack uh, these and others as as we move forward. All right, great. So now, uh, as we do, we'll dig into the major asset classes and we'll look at the detail. And let's begin with equities and the U.S. equity market. Yeah, well, you know, as you mentioned in May, the narrow rally in U.S. equities continued. And thanks in large part to the handful of tech companies that you alluded to. Uh, to, We have to talk about NVIDIA, right, being the prime example who announced that their chips will be the center point of, for future generative AI transformation that's underway. And this sent the stock soaring and it made it a trillion dollar firm actually. And just to, just to put though in perspective from a valuation standpoint, uh, its price to sales ratio is now in the high 30s. It's around 37 or 38. It's never been this high before. Uh, 
Let's compare that to the NASDAQ 100, which is an index of 100 generally tech-focused companies. Uh, that has a price-to-sales ratio around 4.4, and its highest ever is around 5.7. Okay, so that just to just so you see where Nvidia is, and that's all still well north of the S&P 500, which is currently sitting around 2.3. That that's actually looking pretty cheap by comparison. But that 2.3 on the S&P. Uh, that this is the most overvalued decile of price to sales ratios for the S&P going back 150 years. So everything's really overvalued here. Uh, the concentration yeah. of these, these tech stocks, it's been driving the positive performance while the overwhelming majority of the other stocks in the index are, are neutral or down on the year. So as you mentioned, this is not historically a recipe for continued positive performance. Uh, meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is still working to contain inflation. That remains higher than it has been since the 1970s. And the debate around the upcoming FOMC meeting in mid-June seems to be either between you know, another 25 basis point hike uh, or you know, a so-called hawkish pause right, with, with this uh, potential indication of a future increases uh, in the meeting ahead. So you know, beyond the significant overvaluation of U.S. equities, we still have an inverted U.S. Treasury yield curve by the way we measure it. That is short-term interest rates higher than long-term interest rates, and that's weighing negatively on the overall outlook. Uh, the lagged impact of the tighter financial conditions brought about by the restrictive Federal Reserve monetary policy over the prior year, that may just be starting to play out. So for us, all, all these factors taken together you know, keeps, keeps the outlook for U.S. equities cautious. All right, great. So let's shift our attention to European equities, which, as you showed in the matrix, have now uh, declined in terms of their uh, attractiveness, but they still have outperformed the U.S. equity markets year to date. Um, so what is our model saying now? We've seen them shift down in terms of attractiveness. What are the factors contributing to that here? Yeah, uh, it's, it's been the shining star for much of 2023 from our model research standpoint. Uh, ranking it as the most attractive equity asset class that we model. And year to date, European and specifically German equities um, have outperformed the S&P 500. They're up about 13% through the end of May compared with the U.S. Uh, at around 10%, just under 10%. Um, however, and we've been mentioning this potential caution with, with European equities uh, for the past couple months, um, you know, the lags in certain factors in the model that we've noted as a negative, they've caught up now in the present. And specifically, I'm talking about the yield curve measure for the region. It's gone from flat to inverted by our measure, meaning that the short-term yields are, are higher than long-term yields. I sound like a broken record, which is the signal of, of potential economic weakness ahead. And this negative is now more than offsetting the positive contribution from the reductions that we've seen in inflation in the region, which had really been positively contributing to that outlook. Uh, so, you know, inflation remains a bit elevated in the region. It may prove stickier in Europe than in the U.S., and it may require further rate hikes by the ECB in the months ahead. So the outlook has, has shifted down uh, to a less positive footing as a result. Excellent. Okay, so now we'll shift our attention to the Japanese equity market, which has had some pretty nice gains so far this year, and where the model is indicating well, at least it's less negative than it was. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. Yeah, Japanese equities, you know, they pretty much kept pace with the S&P 500 year to date, though on a currency hedge basis are, are way ahead uh, as the Bank of Japan, that is Japan's central bank, has been one of the, the few major central banks to continue with stimulative monetary policy, potentially responsible for the, we the weakening of the yen. 
Um, you know, our model research is now a bit more positively disposed towards this asset class, which rose in May and benefited from this positive investor psychology and positive momentum. You know, that said, the Japanese yield curve measure that we calculate, it is still a leading negative factor, though possibly less negative as we look in the months ahead, kind of the opposite of what we had been seeing in Europe. And so as a result, you, you know, we, we, are, we are moving Japanese equities up to that, that more mixed outlook, but potentially becoming more positive uh, uh, in, in the future. Excellent. All right. So let's shift gears now into the world of fixed income and the bond market. And let's look at the current interest rate environment first, which would be the U.S. Treasury market. And, you know, obviously there was volatility in that market based on the angst among investors about the debt ceiling, which as of a couple of days, we've now put behind us. But what is the model saying about the outlook for interest rates in U.S. Treasury market? Yeah, um, well, as you mentioned, it appears we will avoid a debt default with this bipartisan bill passing through the House and Senate, um, though they've simply kicked the can down the road for two years rather than fixing the issue altogether. So I'm sure we'll be talking about this, this issue soon enough. Uh, but, uh, but. I was really concerned that they were going to like kick the can down the road for six months That's or right. you know, something right. like that, which really would have been awful. We'll, so we'll take, we'll, we'll take, take the W where we can, I suppose. Take it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, as for the upcoming Federal Reserve meeting, investors have been really wishy-washy as you look at the Fed fund futures market uh, between uh, a hike or a pause or a potential hike in July. Uh, so, you know, recent comments are maybe indicating more a, a, a pause is maybe more likely on the table, but but one never knows until until the meeting uh, is underway. You know, either way, we, we, we have witnessed yields on U.S. Treasuries moving higher sort of across the board, uh, as is the case in much of the rest of the world. Uh, the U.S. Treasury curve it remains inverted uh, and therefore we continue to favor short term U.S. Treasury instruments like uh, floating rate notes. Uh, T-bills and short-term tips, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Excellent. So let's take a look at the corporate bond market or the credit markets. And oftentimes there, we're looking at credit spreads. So what is the model indicating there? Yeah, the, the model research remains quite cautious of, of corporate credit markets. We said that for, for quite some time. In the U.S., we're seeing the inverted yield curve, widening investment grade and high yield credit spreads and a widening TED spread. That is the difference between the interbank rate and the Treasury bill rate all of which taken together do not inspire confidence for the outlook for credit. The leverage loan and high yield debt walls, uh, that is the maturity walls, start to really increase in 2024 and then really ramp up from there in the years ahead, which will lay additional challenges for companies seeking to borrow and refinance their debts at these higher interest rate levels. Did you call it the debt wall? The debt wall. I like it. It sounds ominous. It does sound ominous. Anyway, moving, moving on. So let's take a look now at real assets. So that would be gold and commodities, beginning with gold, which gave back some of the year-to-date gains uh, during the month of May, but still solidly positive year-to-date. So what is the model saying now about the outlook for gold? Yeah, the, the current long-term outlook remains positive towards gold. We still believe that in the long run, gold could serve as this you know, better hedge than bonds against a potential downturn in the equity markets. That said, currently the model research indicates that gold could face some headwinds in the shorter term, specifically if the Federal Reserve needs to continue to increase rates to combat the elevated inflation here at home. We could see real rates, that is nominal less inflation rates, uh, we could see those rise and that would potentially weigh negatively on gold in the shorter term. But in the longer term, you know, should the Fed be forced to revert to a more stimulative policy, 
uh, maybe inject liquidity back into the financial system. That could weaken the value of the U.S. dollar, which which would likely be a good uh, thing for the value of gold. Another positive for gold stems from many of the world's major central banks continuing to be buyers of gold bullion to distance themselves from reliance on the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. And then finally, and we've noted this uh, for some time, holding some gold can hedge the risk uh, associated with the heightened geopolitical tensions that we're seeing globally. And seems to be no shortage of, of those. So, you know, the outlook's a little more cautious in the short term, but still bullish longer term. Excellent. Okay. And then we'll shift gears from gold, staying in real asset gold to commodities. We have seen the price of oil, I believe, continue to decline here in the month of May. But what is uh, the model telling us about the outlook for commodities now? Yeah, yeah, the outlook for commodities is is looking somewhat negative. You know, with global growth outlook slowing, as as we really talked about, it's indicated by most of the yield curve measures we calculate for the major equity asset classes, particularly China, being inverted. The outlook for commodities just is not particularly favorable currently. You know, commodity demand could be at risk in the face of all this lagged impact from the monetary tightening by the world's major central banks just starting to kick in. And, uh, and then, you know, just shifting to a more specific area, we've talked about Russia's war with Ukraine and the concern regarding the scarcity of agricultural commodities. And this area is becoming, uh, this is being shifted to more of a mixed outlook as well. All right, great. All right, well, Eric, thank you. Thank you very much for providing the update on our outlook for the global capital markets. Eric and I will be back again in early July with the next monthly edition of View from the Edge. Meanwhile, Steve Cucchiaro and I will be back next week with the next edition of the Three Edge Week in Review. And if you would like a hard copy of our full View from the Edge newsletter for June, you'll find that on our website, and that is threeedgeam.com. And as a reminder, our entire video library is always available on our Three Edge YouTube channel. So on behalf of Eric and everyone here at Three Edge, thanks for listening. This commentary is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities. The opinions expressed in View from the Edge are those of Mr. Foltz and Mr. Beagleisen and are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. This commentary is not intended to provide personal investment advice and does not take into account the unique investment objectives and financial situation of the listener. Investors should only seek investment advice from their financial advisor. The observations include information from sources that 3Edge believes to be reliable, but the accuracy of such information cannot be guaranteed. Investments, including common stocks, fixed income, commodities, and ETFs, all involve a risk of loss that investors should be prepared to bear.